This is a 38 Medicine production. Candace, what's on your spirit today to start this episode? Listen, <clears throat> when I saw this story, I was like, huh? Like I was squinting. I wasn't sure. I had to really kind of sit back and scratch underneath my wrap because I'm wearing a wrap today. Huh? And say, so, what is this girl talking about? And it made me think about the phrase, nice guys always finish last. And she really, like, she really wrapped that up in a bow and handed it to everybody. This young woman, very cute young woman, she is shading the dog hell out of nice guys and basically saying she don't want no nice man. She wants a man that's going to rough her up and dominate her, honey. Yeah, let's see. I will be talking to a man and I won't be feeling it. And people will be like, why? And I'll be like, he's just too nice. And people will look at me like I'm stupid. They'll be like, what do you mean he's too nice? Like, you want somebody mean? And I figured it out. It's it's not that I want somebody mean. It's just what I'm looking for in a man is masculine energy that is dominant over my masculine energy so it can bring out my feminine energy. Does that make sense? Like, no. if I feel like I have more masculine energy than you do, Mm-hmm then I feel like you can't really be dominant. Over me is essentially how she finished that one. Yeah, I don't like the way that she was saying that part about, because I don't want anyone to dominate over me. But I will say that I understand what she what she means when she speaks about masculine energy. Because I am a type A personality. I'm someone who knows what I want, especially in a relationship. And I've dated men who have said, you're too much for me. And essentially they were saying I was too bossy. I was too, <laughs> uh, I was too over the top. I was too dominant. And it takes... I knew it was going to take a special kind of man that could handle me and all of my energies. If you want to call them masculine energies, if you want to call them uh, dominant energies, if you want to call them bitch energies, whatever you want to call them, I I harbor all of those things in inside of myself. And I it ne- I needed a man who was not going to be afraid to tell me when shut the fuck up, when I need to sit down and be quiet and and when to let me, you know, do my thing and, and be loud and be fussy or, you know, do whatever I need to do. A man who knows when to step in and when to let me do my thing. And if you want to call that, you know, someone having more masculine, masculine energy than me, I guess. But yeah. I don't think that she was explaining it properly. Essentially, what she's trying to say is, is like masculine energy is mean to me, because when you're equating it to being a nice guy, then you're saying to me, masculine energy can only mean mean. And I don't think that now I do believe that men have a different energy than women. You as my homegirl, we can hang out all damn day, but I'm not going to fulfill you in the same way that Chris can fulfill you. And I say this all the time when I'm talking about dating, like I want to be with a man, you know, who is different from my friends. That's why sometimes I crave a relationship different than my friends. I can talk to my homegirl all day so there is a difference in energies but the way that she stated it equated that masculine energy can only be mean when you're saying you're a nice guy it's almost i hate to go there and and speak prematurely but it's almost like a trauma response right Mm. like the the what we we kind of talked about this with on the last episode with tosh and in the Porsche situation about you attracting those things that you necessarily might not have had and Mm. so like what does love being expressed like look to you i read Mm. this 
book called Detached. And it's basically talking about how essentially everyone has three attachment styles. There's an the anxious, there's basically the detached, and then there's the secure. And so all everyone is three of one of those three. Some people are like a small percentage of the disassociated and anxious, which is a yep. very small percent. But ultimately, when you are the, the ladder of secure, you have to date a secure person. And yes. so oftentimes I feel like people who don't, not all the time, want to receive love though, um, mm. in that way, come from these different attachment styles or backgrounds and traumas that create you wanting to feel that way. Because yeah. in what way is it ever wrong if your partner is very nice and does it? Like a lot of people tell me all the time, because I'm so extra, I'm going to have to be with a man who's a little bit less, a little bit more cool or a little bit, you know, reserved because I am so yeah, extra. Right. But I, I think that's all to say that because I don't agree with the idea of masculine and feminine energy being yeah. linear with nicer me. Yeah. Yeah. No, I, and I, I also want to, and I wish that we had someone who could really speak to this because I am not as well versed on this, but you, we also have to be careful of assigning masculine and or feminine energies to different sexes. Because when you look at the LGBTQ plus community, you can have two women who maybe both exude masculine energy and they have a relationship that works just fine. You can have two men who are in a relationship and one maybe exudes more of a feminine energy, if you want to call it that, and more exudes one exudes more of a masculine energy, if you want to call it that. Energy is has, has to be looked at as more fluid, I think, especially in the times that we're living in where we are, I think society is becoming more open to having conversations about gender fluidity and yeah. who can house masculine, masculine energy and who can house feminine energy. So what, and what does that look like when you have a couple who doesn't look like a masculine man and a feminine woman who is having a conversation about dominating one energy over the other, if, if I'm making any sense at all? Yeah. So I decided to get on the Googler and look up what masculine means just for clarity. It says- mm qualities or appearance traditionally associated with men, especially strength mm -hmm. and aggressiveness. But I but also see that definition. That, we got to change that definition. But, that, but that's why I said I don't agree with her talking about feminine masculine energy because, I mean, if that's the case, I'm damn near a man, bitch. Like, I I really, like, other than having a vagina, really, like, fall in line with more male shit than yeah. feminine shit. Like, when I was a, a kid, I wore fucking soccer jerseys and outfits to school. Like, yeah. I, in my most comfortable state, I look like a fucking bum. Like, I care yeah. less to dress up and put makeup on. And I like to look cute because I went to Howard and I'm a Howard girl, first and foremost. And we always mm -hmm. come with a look, but that Ready. was not what was innate to me, genuinely. Yeah. I'm, yeah. I'm a fucking bum. I know that. Yeah. So like- But it's not, don't, but don't call yourself a bum because don't equate your masculine energy to being homeless or being a bum. Okay, that, not a bum, but I mean, I, I just enjoy not the extra shit. Like yeah. at my house, I am a, um damn, I saw it on Twitter, a modern day nudist, Um, but they call it something else. Like, and I was like, oh yes. Like I believe God made us to not wear clothes but that's not the point yeah 
But yeah, that's so another, that's another episode. Okay, maybe my mom will be on that one. Just kidding, I'm a child of God. Anyway, uh, but no, yeah, that's why I struggle with her theory about masculine and feminine energy because I I don't really feel like those exist. Yeah, uh, I don't like I just not, think not that, in the way that they they once did. I think as a human race, we are shifting out of those traditional roles, mm-hmm. and that has to be acknowledged. And really, it, it needs to start with Miriam and Webster and their dictionary. Because, you know, you, you can no longer equate masculine energy to just a man. That's that's yeah. just that's not where we've ever been. And it's I, I would love to see the people that define these things catch up to where we are as as a people, as a as a human race, as we evolve. I, I would love to see Miriam and Webster and, and, and their cousins um, sort of catch up to to where we are. Yeah, I just personally don't believe it exists. Like, I think that a man can be in touch with his emotions and not be feminine. Yeah. I don't think he's feminine. Right. I just think it's right. literally like your makeup and how you were raised yeah. and like everything falls into those things. So I don't even think yeah. there's a such thing. We need defined roles. We need things to be sort of put into these boxes so that we can define them, so that we can call them by name and understand them. And that's where I think this need for having a definition for what a man is and a definition for what a woman is, a definition for what a trans person is, a definition for what a a non-binary person is, all of those things... People need definitions, but even I myself have to get out of the habit of needing to define things top to bottom and and understand that humans are fluid beings. You know, not even just in our sexuality, but in 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 our masculinity and our in our femininity, in uh, in the way that we emote, in the way that we eat, everything that we do. Humans are such complex beings, and I think it would give us all a little bit more peace if we were able to get out of this idea of needing to define everything top to bottom. Yeah. Well, speaking of defining as we continue, so that's what we're doing in these streets, people are having a lot of conversation about Mm. the definition of a bonnet and what that looks like because this picture of these women, about five women in an airport uh, wearing a bonnet has hit the internet, plies has said something, it's been on every blog you can imagine, but Mad bonnets outside the home. How are we feeling about them? Because well, all right. So I I'm gonna apologize. Can I guess? Can I guess? Can I guess what you are? Because I know what you are. Oh, please yes. You are absolutely not. We will not wear bonnets outside the home. Go ahead. Hell to the motherfucking all. I am not. And okay. And you know what? I a lot of this may come from. My, my pageant background, and oh, I think a lot of it comes from my mama, because my mom raised her children to always be presentable. And when you leave the house, when you leave your room, you leave the room dressed, you leave the room looking like you are ready for the day. Uh, but especially if you're going to go outside, even to go to the mailbox, but especially if you're going to, you know, Publix, Kroger, the grocery store, Wegmans, you need to look like you belong to somebody. And for For me, that definition is I'm at least going to put my hair in a ponytail and put on some clothes that look like clothes that you would wear outside. I always cringe when I see black women walking around outside in their bonnets. And y'all can be mad at me if you want to. Bonnets don't belong outside. And I heard somebody say if white people wore bonnets, bonnets would be accepted. Oh, no, no, no. False. 
fake. That's yes. some bullshit. Yes. Because white people do a whole bunch of nasty, crusty, rusty, untrustworthy ass shit that I would never do. And I grew up in the South with 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 some with those white people. Okay, shout out to the to to to, to the Southern white people. I'm not doing that shit. So if white people were wearing bonnets outside, I would look at them and say, "Look at them crazy ass white people." No, you would not. Crazy white people shit rooted in racism. That's the thing. This is all rooted in racism. Let's be very clear. I was raised not to wear the bonnet outside of the house. Right. Um, I have. I will admit right here. If I got to run in the store to get some bananas, I'm not unwrapping this. This is gonna stay in the damn bonnet. Okay. Put a hat on. Put a hat on top of it. No, because put a hood on it. I'm okay. not my bonnet belong. I wear my bonnet in the bed. I'm not gonna wear my bonnet that I what that I wear in the bed into the giant. I'm just not doing that. No, I'm gonna put a hat on. I'm gonna put I'm gonna unwrap my hair and put it in a low pony. Or you know the, the head or, or I'm gonna Instacart so I don't have to leave the house. Queen but I'm not going room. outside in my bonnet. I'm just not. I'm just I'm sorry. Not. If I gotta get tampons real quick, I'm not unwrapping my hair. And secondarily, bonnets are rooted in racism, dead ass, because again. If it was socially acceptable for white motherfuckers, white motherfuckers go to college and wear pajamas in class. So and I talk shit about those white people because y'all look stupid. Okay, but it's culturally acceptable. So again, if not, it was not in my house, if it not was in my house acceptable for white people, we would not even be having the fucking discussion. No. No. We would not. Mm-hmm. We would not be having the discussion. And while again, I'm sitting here as a person who does not believe in going in the mall, going to the airport, going wearing this shit long periods of time in public. Yeah, if I gotta go to my trash shoot outside, bitch, you're damn right I'm keeping this goddamn bonnet on. If I gotta run downstairs to my car, you're damn right I'm keeping this fucking bonnet on. This shit is rooted in white. Okay, going to the court. car. No. I can I can get with that. I can go into the trash shoot. I could maybe get with that. But if I'm getting in my vehicle and I'm riding down the road, yes. I'm not. I'm not wearing my bond. I'm not doing that. That's that's just. I'm. That's just not what I'm doing. That that may be what you're doing. That's just not what I'm doing. <laughs> so that's what we're not doing is wearing our bonnet to the giant, to the Kroger, to the Publix, to the Wegmans, to the Costco. We're not, I'm, I'm just not, I, I'm, I'm sorry. And I will not raise my children to do that either. And I, I just have to go back and say again, there are white people who do the who crazy things. You, you all have seen the crazy shit that some white people do. And I look at them and say, look at those crazy white people. They are, I would never do that. And I will raise my children to never do those things. So if, if they want to partake in the bonnets, then go right ahead. But it's, I, 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 it will still, it will still not be acceptable. As for me and my house, we serve the Lord and we don't wear bonnets outside the house. Boy, if you don't get, get your fucking ass out of my face. Cause first of all, you're missing the fucking point. If. If it was a social norm that white people had to wrap their hair, we would not even be having the conversation. And I think that's what we're missing. It's too, it's going over your head wrap. It's I not going it. over your no, head. I hear, I hear I hear that. But it's for me, it is still about being presentable. And a bonnet is not presentable for me, whether a white, whether it's acceptable in white society or not. And what I'm saying is. There are many things that white people do and say that are acceptable in society that I still would not do or say because I think that they're trifling. I think that the things that that those white people are doing is trifling. 
That's all I'm saying. Yes, and I, I hear you saying that, but like, again, I just feel like, I mean, let's be real, like someone made the baseball cap normal. So again, societally mm -hmm. speaking, if bonnets were an everybody, not just a black woman thing, I do yes. not believe that it would be an issue. And so again, while I am not here for wearing your bonnet all throughout the mall and through the airport and da da da, which, you know, my cousin made a good point because she is a bonnet at the airport girl. And I said, girl, you trifling. But she said, listen, when I get to Miami, bitch, my hair will be laid and slayed. And I said, bitch, that, you ain't that's fair. That's fair. Well, I, and I've done that. I've gone to the airport not in a bonnet, but I used to wrap my hair and then I would put one of the the mesh things with the Velcro mm -hmm. on it on it. And then I would put the like the skull cap on top of that, all mm -hmm. satin, all because you know we, we don't do no cotton on it. I have a satin wrap underneath this. Okay, so we're not mm -hmm. drying out our edges. And but then I would put either a hat or some kind of something to cover that up. Because for me, that the wrap is for the house. Just like pajamas are for the house. Just like not wearing a bra when you have big tig old bitties, that's for the house. <laughs> Hold on, Gandhi. You don't want to see. Excuse yeah, you? No. Did you no, go to no. Howard University where it's free the nipple? Because every bitch at Howard, like those bitches with bigger titties than that me. That was not me. That was not me. I, I'm just, oh, in quarantine is when I freed my nipple. Before that, I would never leave the house without a bra. I always had a bra on. Always. That's always. real old Howard of you because new Howard, baby, the, the titties, the girls be out for the game and it's not even on no sexual shit. I was just telling somebody yes. the other day, like when at Howard, every girl had their nipples out. Now, I, it was never me. Yeah, not me. My, my titties not are me. too old for that. Um, not my ministry. But it was long titties out too though. Long titties, it, it titties round titties, triangle titties, square Throwing it on the side. Swinging it, swinging it. Okay. Titties to Q U A D. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Quad titties. <laughs> <laughs> Not quad titties. Woo. Yeah. If oh, my goodness. You got to watch this on YouTube to understand the reference. But yes, yeah. 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 Titties. I mean, all of it. So there was just no. No titty shaming at Howard. But yeah. my point is, you know, I think the first thing is stop minding black women's business. That's that's number one. In-house in we can do. This um, This is just a, a disclaimer. This is a kitchen table conversation mm -hmm. that is being had amongst black women, amongst the community. If you ain't in the community, we ain't ask for your opinion respectfully. Mm -hmm. Mind your business. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. All, right. All right. And uh, speaking of house, that this is a good segue to get into this. So I saw this post and I posted it on my social media media and did a survey. So the post says that parents really do body shame a lot and they never mm. realize how damaging it is. And I mm. asked people what they thought about it. 82% of the people said that they agree and 18% said they did not. I mean, this also goes to a tweet I saw a while ago that said most people's parents are their first bullies. Yep. And I was... Ah. I was like, well, valid. But I think that yeah. when it comes to like a deeper conversation about, you know, what we do at home. Like one of the things that kind of triggered something in me when we were just talking about the bonnets, you said I was taught to not even leave my room without being presentable. Mm -hmm. And at home, I remember as a young girl, my mom would literally like, let's just say I had a tank top and some drawers on. Now, mind you, I lived by with my mom. So there yeah. were no men in the house. So there's right. not right. a feeling of being like acceptable because you have a man in right. the home. It was just right. her and I. And she would really make me feel uncomfortable for being comfortable. And I feel like mm. the only place you should be comfortable is in your home. Yeah. And 
And so, you know, um, I always said I was going to write a book about it, but hell, I put it on my podcast. I was going to write a blog about how sleeping naked changed my life. I am a nudist at home. Um, really? I you don't be sweating? No, Maybe. give it. We have the AC high, high. We're in fifties, oh, right? oh, okay? No. Oh, yeah. the fifties? Yeah, I like to be cold. And then your the thermostat is on is on fifty. Yes, ma'am. Yes. Oh, yeah. I'm never coming to your house. I just want you to know that right now. Don't yeah, ever invite yeah. me over. I'm yeah. never coming over. We have blankets. It's fine. You'll be fine. All my friends and have yeah, the blankets. There's blankets. That is so yeah. disrespectful. And I live with a white man, and he don't even keep it that cold. No, just because you're anemic, get your life together. Anyway, uh-uh. I might be, but still, yes. But either way, um, sleeping naked was not something that I always did. When I was younger, I did feel like my mother was definitely just always about like covering and like yes. modesty, and not even necessarily in the Christian way. But I just kind of felt like, honestly, it was used as a way to kind of keep me covered. And going back to the post of like putting things on you, like not wearing shirts that show your arms, or you're always having a little. Yeah. Can- or a cover-up, those type yeah. of things. And as I got older, I started to lose things. Like, I remember going to school one day and a girl saying to me, like, they don't wear bras to sleep. And I always wore bras because I was put under the impression that you always cover up. So I didn't feel comfortable sleeping without a bra. What? And so as in middle school talked about it, I tried it without a bra. And the first time it was uncomfortable. But after a while, I was like, why have I never not taken off a bra before? Like, what the hell? So then wow. went on, I lost more articles of clothing until the point of nakedness, which is when I felt like it was almost symbolic of the freedom that I could finally yeah. feel at home and in my yeah. own. And so now, as soon as I hit the door, I'm new. But I'm a newbist, like dead ass. So, you know, if you peep in my blinds, you're going to see some ass. (laughs) Sleeping naked really evolved. It was almost like the more layers I lost at night, the more I became comfortable with myself. I almost think that, like, me keeping clothes on was the insecurity I was covering. You know what I mean? Mm. Naked or seeing my full self in the shower or getting out quickly and then putting clothes back on. It was psychological, but like the more I slept naked and the more I became open to that, the more I was able to shed that that energy. But it all started with my mom really pressing me to always be dressed at home. So when you said, like, I was taught to not even leave my room and not be put together, I thought because that I felt the same way at a certain point. And until I literally lost the clothing, I didn't. Mm -hmm. I lost the insecurity as well. It was like a cycle for me. And so when yeah. I look at that post, I think about that, how our yeah. parents, even subconsciously sometimes with yeah. what they put oh, into yes. us, just pour mm-hmm. these insecurities mm-hmm. onto us. I have a friend yeah. who's the opposite. She's very small. She comes from Caribbean culture. You know, in Caribbean c- culture, it's embraced to be bigger. So yes. when when she's like, you know, they're always saying like, oh, do you eat? Oh, do you eat? And then you start oh. to internalize. And you from the South. Where everybody big? You need some corn. You make you some cornbread. You can get, get some cornbread on them hips, girl. You look with your little skinny self. You ain't eat. They starving you over there. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Cause I've, I've been, I've been, I was 90 pounds in 12th grade and I, I, I've never been more than 115 pounds that I'm just small. My grandmother was very petite. My mom was very petite. My dad was very petite. Like, a, you know, he he's a man. He's like a, he looks like a man, but he is small bones, like a small guy. And I've, you know, my grandmother was 4'11", so I'm I'm short because she was short, and I've just always been small. And yeah, I was not so much sh- body shamed by my mom, but by my extended family. 
Mm-hmm. Like, you know, my aunties and uncles and cousins, when we would go down, you know, to hang out in Alabama for the summer, for 4th of July, for whatever, or even like their friends, like, this little, who's this little skinny girl? Ain't nobody feeding you. Well, your mom, your mom ain't feed you nothing. Here, eat this. Right, get some neck and then they would be surprised. Right. Then they would be surprised because I also eat. She Now, <laughs> listen, I'll put away a meal. I love food. So then I would eat and they would say, girl, where you put all that food at? Where'd it go? It ain't going nowhere. It's like, it's it, you, you just can't live. So, the, But then in my house, my mom, my mom used to get on my sister. My sister is nine years younger than me and she is not big but she had a lot of acne growing up Mm. and like cystic acne and my mom became obsessed with her skin and just constantly Mm. like oh god what are we gonna do about this we need to you need to go to the doctor and my parents are physicians so all their friends are physicians one of my stepdad's best friends is a dermatologist so my mom was always calling him what are we gonna do about her skin we're gonna do about this then when my sister left she graduated and left my mom would still call her and be like how's your skin doing what's happening with your skin what's going on with your skin and she would and she would also ask questions about her weight and this was on the show she asked her on the show Crystal, how's your weight doing? And my sister is not big at all. She's a normal, regular size, average black woman. She's maybe what, five, six, five, five? Average, I don't know what her, like one, I don't know, like average weight. But my mom is like asking her all these questions about her weight, about her skin. And it it triggered me. It's like, Mm. let her leave her alone let her be she's not unhealthy you know she she's her skin is a thing but it's like you don't have to obsess over it because obsessing over it is is gonna stress her out more and it got to the point where my sister had to kind of put up a boundary and say I'm not gonna talk about this because I, I don't need to discuss it with you every five seconds when I need help when it's time to fill a prescription for Accutane or whatever I'll, we can discuss that, but to constantly be talking about my skin, constantly be asking me about my weight, I, I don't, this is not helpful to me. But again, I definitely feel like it comes from this, and I, I hate to, you know, shout out to the, to the old Southern Black women. I think it comes from this this need to always feel like we have to be put together and look a certain way. I did not want to leave my house without a full face of makeup on for years. Mm-hmm. I I had extreme insecurities about my skin, about my face, about you know the the way that I looked just to just to leave the house to do anything for years. I'm talking about like Seven years ago, I was still dealing with this. And I missed out on appreciating how beautiful my skin was without makeup. Gorgeous. Because I was so just, it was automatic. Like, I can't go anywhere without makeup. I'll tell you a story. We, I was traveling with the Howard Gospel Choir. We were in, somewhere in Europe, in Italy, I think. And I used to carry my makeup bag with me everywhere. And one of my friends or a couple of my friends as a joke were like, let's steal her makeup bag. 
And I had a panic attack. And I was like, I'm not going anywhere until you give me back my makeup. I was so angry because it, it was like my makeup was like my shield, shield, my shield. And I, I, if I didn't have that, I wasn't worthy. I wasn't, I, I couldn't even look you in the eye without makeup on. I wouldn't look people in the eye. If I, if for whatever reason I had to go out somewhere and I didn't have enough makeup on or, or, or I felt like I just didn't look good, I would look down. I wouldn't look at people. And I, a lot that, that came from my house. That came from my house, from the, the conditioning in my house. And it's like, like I said, even just in the last like seven to 10 years, am I coming out of that and now being able to, you know, walk around with nothing on my face mm-hmm. or mm-hmm. going out with nothing on my face that it's, 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 it's still a thing that I, that I deal with. So it's, it, you definitely take on that, that burden that is put on you by the people that raised you in your house. That's real. Yeah. And I was yeah. going to say too, like, as far as, as me, I was the opposite. So it's interesting, like the spectrum of that, because I feel like yeah. I was a tomboy because I didn't feel that I had the capacity to be girly, like that mm. I had the capacity to be cute. I was always yeah. the girl. I was always the athlete. Um, mm-hmm. And again, this is not to bash my mother, but like she put me in sports to lose weight. It was not, mm. it was not because she wanted me yeah. to be in social things with everybody else. It was because she wanted me to be like, slimmer and so mm-hmm. i i found joy in sports and i enjoyed it i was competitive but for mm-hmm. me those things were like it, it almost made me more insecure like i was like okay yeah. i i don't have the compa- i remember i had a i have a cousin shout out to melanie because she listens um and his answer hurt sure. your this but she was very girly she was into makeup and i remember as a yeah. kid she would constantly try to get me to do more right like to be more girly right and yeah. i would fight it because i was so insecure with myself mm-hmm. i never felt like no matter what i would be pretty enough because mm-hmm. i was always that girl and so mm-hmm. you know she would try and it would it would just make me feel more shitty honestly because i was like i can't fit that box i'll never fit because in my mind i was already told i couldn't be so yeah. I, people respond that way to me, right? You're the big girl. Like, okay, let's be clear. Five minutes ago, Lizzo started showing her ass and we started having conversations about yep. body positivity. We weren't talking yep. about that six years ago. It was still no, we not cool to be fat. We're just yep. now saying ass to the big girls, okay? Right. So, like, and, he, and you know you know who's not saying it? My mom is like, that girl needs to put some clothes on. Yeah. Why is she always naked? And it, because for her generation, Lizzo, Lizzo's whole persona is offensive as shit. People yeah. are offended by this fat woman being proud of her That's fat body. And, yeah. and she didn't even, she's not even doing it for me, but I, it gives me confidence that like, if, if, if she can be confident in who she is, then everybody should be confident in who they are. All you we, have- we, we, we all deserve to own our bodies and own our confidence in the same way that Lizzo does. All you have to do is go to a beach one time and see an old fat white man. Your confidence should be go to Europe off the chart. Okay. They don't care. But no, to your point with Lizzo, right? Like there was not, she's kind of the martyr of this charge, right? Like she is yeah. 
the face. She is is fully bringing it to media in a way that has never been done before. Because let's be real, look at Takara, who was the first plus size model on America's plus Next Time. Baby don't even have a gut. And she was considered yeah. plus size because she wasn't a yeah. size two. She still right. wasn't even fat. So then when we right. have Rainbow, who is really a plus size woman, let me not say really, because I'm not trying to take away from the women who are considered plus size, but I do have an issue as a woman in a size 24 who literally, yeah. you know, um, when we, we talk about body positivity, but it's girls with like no gut who are so socially acceptable, but might have a fat ass and we're calling them mm -hmm. thick. No, I'm talking mm -hmm. about really women who are, you know, uh, by standards of doctors, obese. Let's talk right. about it. And, you know, going back to the thing at home, I just feel like when we discuss that, like, again, I back then there was there was no Lizzo. There was nobody to no. see. It was not cool to be fat. It was not in. It was not trendy. Nobody was going to the plastic no. surgeon trying to get more ass. Like, if you had it, you had it. And if you didn't, right. it was You know what I mean? It was all these yeah. things. And I just felt like, you know, the more people um, tried to make me, the more it made me insecure. So the way mm. that you internalized, I have to have makeup to feel this way. I was the complete opposite. There's no way that I can feel this way. So let me not even try. Let me stay in this box. Let me try not. And I also think, too, a conversation that a lot of people don't have, a lot of plus size people, a, a lot of reasons that big people are the funniest people in the room is that is complete right. trauma response. Yeah. Oh, yeah. If they're oh, laugh yeah. at me, let me make them laugh first. That was right. me. I, yep. I, I buried my humor in, in trauma. I buried, yeah. um, I, you know, when I was growing up. Did you buried your trauma in your humor. In humor. Yeah. Absolutely. And people don't talk about it enough. That's why, you know, we're watching these comedians off themselves because yes. it's not about. Yeah. It's not about I'm just a genuinely funny person and I like to make people laugh. A lot of comedy mm -hmm. comes from pain anyway. It's usually dark, mm -hmm. but all of that stemming from, you know, that that deep place. Like I grew up very similar to you. Like I had cousins who grew up in the hood and I was in the nice part of town. I remember not being able to identify for a very long time with my cousins who I love very much, but they'd be like, go, go be with Ashley, go be with Sarah. Yeah. And I yeah. always was like, I do not fit in with the people who are supposed to be my tribe. And until right. I became funny and until... Yeah. Somebody saw me as the the family comedian. I didn't yeah. feel like I belonged in my own family until I yep. identified as that. And then that whole wow. persona spread to the rest of my being. And and yeah. I'm funny. Yes, I'm naturally inclined. Yes, I'm creative. But again, yeah. it stems from a different type of space. And so when yeah. we talk about that, like that trauma starting at home, it's very real and it, and it's yeah. really deep. And I. And I'm glad that we are the the generation who's not afraid to say that therapy yeah. is something that we want to do because I'm yeah. not sure if I didn't have a therapist, would I be able to have all these actual actualizations and be like, yeah. oh, this is why, you know, I'm this way. Yeah. I'm this way. Yeah. You know? yeah. And it'll be interesting to see how our kids, maybe not ours, personally, because we don't know if we haven't them yet, but All right. the children that will come from our generation, how they will process and move through the world being raised by people who think the way that we're thinking in this conversation right now and how differently you would raise your daughter or your son um, from, from your mother and, and the, how differently I would raise my daughter or my son from the way that I was raised. I just, I look forward to um, a, a freer, more liberated um, sense of thinking 
yeah. for for the next generation because it's I mean, but then it's like, how are we going to fuck them up? Because we're we know what we're, we're going to do differently. But then, you know, you it's, it's inevitable. You're going to fuck up your kids somehow. It's, and it's just like if it's not this, it'll be that if you're you're, you're going to teach them to love themselves. But then are you going to, you know, make them feel like they got to have a job? I don't know. Like, what, what are we going to do that's going to fuck them up? Well, and I also think, too, the difference is, is like, I think our generation is is willing to own our shit, right? Like, mm-hmm. because you're going to fuck up, right, as a parent. It's inevitable. But I yes. think the conversation that has to stay around that is, like, apologies. I don't think yeah. that my mother has ever said sorry to me for anything. Even when I come forward and say, like, these are it's the hurting. things that you did to me, right, that hurt me. My mom yeah. can acknowledge, like... Nope. And, and, and here's the thing. I've expressed to my mother that, listen, I humanize your experience. Your mm. shit was not easy. Your load was not easy to carry. You right. did the best that you could. However, Ooh. within doing Ooh. the best that you can, there were still bumps along the way. And with that being said, here I am waiting for my acknowledgement of where your load you had to carry from your parents who are products of slavery. Yeah. Who didn't always do anything right. You know, I had a conversation with a Howard professor and this shit changed my whole perspective about parenting. Probably another reason why I don't want to have kids because this shit is deep. <laughs> she said, I give my children choices. A lot of black parents do not give their children choices. It's what I say. You're going to eat what I tell you. She was right. like, I give my children choices and I edify them. She was like, have you ever noticed that when you go to school and there's a parent teacher conference and the teacher is telling your parent how well the child is doing, the con- the conversation can quickly go to, well, I wish they would clean up their room like that at home. Well, I wish oh they my would God. It. And she Ooh, said, this is triggering me. That stems from slavery, from literally the idea of a slave master coming in and about to pick your child for whatever, rape, manual labor they can't do, whatever, Mm -hmm. and a slave going, you don't want her. She too too fast. She don't. Yep. She's lazy. How deep does that now? We are in 2021 and still talking about how that has now Mm -hmm. translated to yep. your parent not even being able to say congratulations. Yep. Or I love you. Or I'm proud of you. Yeah. It's, yeah. it's, it's extremely deep. And, yeah. and those are the conversations that I think that when we talk about how we will do things differently, we are not always going to do right. We, are, we yeah. are literally a victim of our own circumstances, whatever they may be. Yeah. And we yeah. have to then deem... What what is wrong? If your child is coming to you saying something you said hurt my feelings or something you did, I think the difference between us and our parents is the acknowledgement and and yeah. hopefully the changed behavior. Hopefully. Right. Yeah. And yeah, and, I, and that's, that's how we move, you know? Yeah. Yeah. I and I think there was a I th- there was a a fear or uh an, an acknowledgement that if as the parent I acquiesce to what it is that my child is saying, essentially asking for an apology or even just an acknowledgement of what was done, then I am I'm giving my power away. I'm giving my power to my child. And mm-hmm. I think there was this this sense or this need, at least in my house, to 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 
to wield this power and to have this, this hierarchy be understood that I'm the parent and you are the child. Yeah. You do what I say, because this is my house and these are my rules yep. and I pay the bills and I feed you and I clothe you. So I'm, they didn't have the capacity to apologize or acknowledge you because that's acquiescing power. That's giving away their power. And you can't have uh, apologies happen, but I, but them still exist in this role as the parent because parent meant power. And meant always right. And always right. No matter what, always right. And that's, and that, oh my God, the way that my aunties, my mom's aunts would try to tell me, no, you don't argue with your mom. You just say, okay. And you leave the room. You don't, you, you, you just, you let your mom be right. Your mom is right. Cause she raised you. And it's like, wait, because she raised me, she can't ever be wrong. I can't ever be disrespected because the, oh. the- the, the the bottom line is is the, the human and someone on Twitter had said something along the lines of you can't look at your children as not humans. You can't take your role as a parent overseeing oh, them yeah. as humans with emotions who have wants, who are valid oh, in their experience, even though they're children. Yeah. And, and that's that's very real. I remember having a conversation um, with my cousin when I was younger. Me and my mom had always had a very tumultuous relationship. We had never, it was good. And then one day it just wasn't for yep. until now. Yep. And yep. I remember being mad about something. And my cousin told me, well, no matter what happens, you always have to respect your mom because like, she's your mom. Yep. And I yep. said to her, okay, but if she's my mom and I have to respect her, why in, in turn can I not be respected as well? Because you're the child and children, you don't need respect. You're just, you you're just a kid. You don't get a <laughs> And so like, yeah, that, that is, is, is the balance, right? Like of, of yep. the parenting thing. And I think also, I think that's yep. why you and I are on that same page about children. I want to wait till I have a little bit more of myself in control. Like, again, yeah. I learned in therapy, little Leah shows up a lot. My yeah. childhood self and the things that I want and the way I respond yeah. to things, that shows up in so many different avenues of my life. And when yeah. that over or there's feelings that I feel like I can't control or I'm very yeah. tricked by something, then I'm like, shit, how, yeah. how can I not bring this to a child and I have not conquered this myself? You're never going to be right. ready to have a child, but ah! when you think about those things, it's scary yeah. because you don't want to put on to the next generation what has been put on to right. you. Yep. Yep. I, that, that is literally what keeps me up at night. No lie. When thinking about being a parent and what kind of parent I want to be is not repeating some of the things that have been put on to me and essentially failing my child. Like I don't, I don't want to come at them in a way that they're going to realize later that that was fucked up or that messed me up or that caused me to have anxiety or to have an insecurity about my body or about my skin or whatever it ends up being. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's just Ooh, like yeah. a hard battle, but you know what? There's one thing that, you know, it started at home. And since we're, you know, talking about it, 
I, I heard through the grapevine. Well, actually, I saw that there is a um, little meme online uh, about you that <laughs> is going to start oh this. Oh, my God. You <laughs> said you could make a drinking game out of how many times Candace pulls out her tissue on Real yeah. House Potomac, and we know you're about to be in the new season. So I thought mm-hmm. that we should bring somebody on the show who can speak to these things, you know, unpack a little bit of what we got going. No, no, you didn't pull out a tissue. Listen, okay, you all are going to get all of these magical black tears and me dabbing this tissue into my magical black tear duct and be okay with it. And that's just going to be the end of that because that, that's what we're doing. That's what we're doing. And we're bringing on a guest to help us talk about mental health and everything that's going on. This is my home girl, okay? First of all, let me give her a proper introduction, okay? Mm-hmm. This, this magical black queen is Miss United States 2018. Yes, clap it up, clap it up, clap it up. Andromeda Peters, she was crowned as the first African beauty queen to hold the national title in this pageant, which I also held a title in. I was Miss United States 2013. She has a master's degree in social work and a bachelor's in psychology, and she minored in theater. She's also a licensed clinical therapist and a life coach, which makes her very qualified here today so we can talk about why everybody has such a problem why is everybody's grits burned that candace is crying why are people's grits burned and i have opinions about this and i have an honorary degree in everything because that's just what i think but i want we i think it's good to hear from someone who is actually licensed in the field of mental health yeah, so yeah, Andromeda, yeah. or I, I call her Dro because this is my girl. So Dro Andromeda, tell, we, we just want to talk to you today about mental health in general. But yeah, I just, yeah. I want you to talk to us about why, why does everybody have an issue with crying? I know that crying can be uncomfortable for people. And that's something that I've experienced as well. I've not always been comfortable crying, but I had to kind of let it go because I had to realize that that's just the way that I emote, but it is so weird how people get angry with me. So yeah. Why does everybody have an issue with Candace crying? Like what, what is that about? First of all, I want to just applaud your release of emotional expression. Okay. Thank you. you. It Um, is very healthy. Yes. It is very healthy. I will have to say, I recommend that everyone has a good cry at least once a day if possible. But honestly, I think it's a societal thing. I think we are programmed Mm -hmm. to be built as these productive individuals. It even starts from those messages as little kids um, to the tears for your pillow or, you know, no tears and just teaching us to disconnect very early on. Or even getting spankings for crying. Stop crying before I beat you. Yes. Give me something to cry about in our culture, Black culture especially. Yep. So it stems from somewhere, somehow. I think if we're going to talk about Black culture a little bit, I would say Mm. that because for us, and we come from such a traumatic history, traumatic background that results in all this unresolved trauma, vulnerability has never been an option. It's always Mm. been having to wear this armor of strength, Mm -hmm. um, always this mindset that you're told if you're a Black woman or a Black man, you've got to be the smartest in the room, or even in pageants, you got to be the best in pageants to be able to make top five so it's it's this whole notion of just strength being the only thing that we could possibly have left after everything Mm -hmm. was stripped away so to now be at a point in culture where we're actually out of survival mode 
when it's normal for us to sit with emotions and process them as they come up, it's like the rest of society hasn't quite caught up with us. But it's mm. natural human design to feel emotion, to express it. Mm-hmm. And I think that's often what does contribute to all of these feelings of anxiety and depression is that there's this feeling of I'm too much or I yeah. have space to feel my emotions and process them. Almost everyone I work with comes from backgrounds where they don't have that connect with a lot of family or support systems yeah. who can help yeah. with their emotions. Oftentimes you can only find that in therapy. Yeah. And that's a, that's a whole other conversation because a lot of people are not even comfortable still going to therapy, talking about therapy, the prospect of, you know, sharing your emotions and sharing who you are with a perfect stranger is still seen as weak in a lot of spaces and places, especially in the black community. Although I I will give us some credit as a black, as the black community and say that at least in my communities and in communities adjacent to mine, I find that people are becoming more open just say, yeah, I talked to my therapist today or my therapist told me that I was tripping, you know, A, B, C, and D. I do see that more, but just going back to, you know, the, this crying meme, it's it's a funny thing, but it, it, it always just gives me, a, it bothers me that I get messages from people just angrily like emoting to me. It's kind of like I'm their therapist and they're coming into my DMs to dump uh, their misplaced anger or misplaced aggression over not being able to emote. And they're coming to me to say, fuck you, bitch. You're always fucking crying. I'm sick of your shit. You need to go. We, I hate you. Like, and it's like, no, I'm, I am not, I'm not on the insurance panels. I'm not being billed for this time. Like, stop it. Stop it. So it, it, it just, I, I want everyone to, just stop for a minute it, within this housewife sphere and and really really take a moment to assess internally your emotion as it relates to why you're triggered by someone crying why is that triggering and i think it, you andromeda spoke to it very well when she spoke about the trauma that black people have faced from our genesis in this country even before that when you go back to the transatlantic slave trade and the trauma that we experienced being snatched from our people being raped and pillaged and put on a ship with people you don't know and brought across to you know an unknown land and being forced to work for free and beat and killed if you did not do that work that is traumatic and we we are still not very far removed from that where i think i, I don't know when this will air but when where the, what will be when this airs but we are at what the 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 100 year mark from uh the 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 Oklahoma um the, the Tulsa um massacre yes from the Tulsa massacre and even that there's still so much trauma attached to that i was listening to it on the radio the other day and i got emotional so there's so much trauma that is attached to just breathing and walking and living in this country that i think that I I feel like I know that that has a lot to do with why um, there's such an issue with expressing emotion. But then, go ahead. Well, for sure. And I also think, too, it goes back to what Andromeda said about childhood, right? Because how many times was it like, quit crying before I give you something to cry about? Or 
Um, you know, because I, I know for me personally, you know, I'm not ready to have kids and we've discussed that before, but I will say this. One thing that I have promised myself is that when I have a son, I will allow him to cry because yes. I the reason we are seeing so much emotional unintelligence in our black men is because we have never given them the opportunity to share their emotion. That's why they are sucky partners because, mm. and not all of them, obviously, but I see this among the black male community you know they are really detached from their normal emotions and so it's unfortunate because you know when it does come to then having a a family having you know children and then not repeating that cycle we're seeing it so the up in the anger of sharing emotion i think that you see is because you know you are willing to show that and people sometimes don't do that now granted you know people crying that's their thing so some people may not cry as much as candace right However, the reality is, is there's a deeper conversation about, you know, letting go of emotion. Right. Right. Yeah. Even even privately, even privately or amongst amongst people that you trust. Mm -hmm. I know people like I'll, I'll take one of my, 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 my good friends, for example, Miss Giselle Bryant. She's not one who um, cries. And when I first met her, she used to say to me all the time or just say about me, why is she crying? Like what? And it would make her uncomfortable. And she has since learned to, you know, she, she'll say, that's just how Candace is. That's how she expresses emotion. She cries. You know, we we let her do that and it's fine. But that's, she's the total opposite. Like she's not a very emotional person. And I, I would often look at her and be like, are you okay? Like you're, are you upset about this? Like, are you angry? Are you feeling anything? And so we, we can both learn something from one another. Yeah. And somewhere, right? Like she may not be expressing them, but she's feeling them. They manifest differently. And that's why expressing emotion is so important because how the brain works, right? So you have like the front part of the brain that Mm -hmm. processes a lot of complex things, problem solving, weighing pros and cons, the bottom part, which is just responsible for survival. Yeah. And we're anxious or depressed or anger or fearful. We're in that part of the brain. And the body right. is flooded with all of these emotions. So crying is a good release of all yeah. those depressions and stress hormones. When that doesn't happen, it yeah. harvests somewhere, somehow. Mm-hmm. Right? And we, we might see it in different behaviors. We might see it expressed as anger. We might mm-hmm. see it expressed in substance use and self-harm. Mm-hmm. There's physiological problems that manifest in the body, different health concerns. So yep. the release is always important. If you're not crying, doing something physical you know, talking to them, but it has to be moved literally throughout the body for the body to get back into that homeostasis. Yeah. So we feel it, but not everybody's going to show it the same way, but it is important to note that it's important to start normalizing, talking yeah. about things that bother us, feeling them, expressing them, showing them. So what you do, Candice, is a very brave thing that I think people need to work up to. Yeah. Yeah, because I'm not there. I'm not I'm not even gonna hold you, Candace. Love you very much. But I but and I also come though from a very, very like emotionally, mm-hmm. you know, my mom is not giving that. Like yeah. I remember as a child feeling like wanting to feel upset. Like I'd yeah. be mad after a soccer game and my mom be like, yeah. girl, get over it. Yeah. Like my white friends, we would cry. Like we're mad. Like we got, we got fucked in this game. The ref wasn't, you know, calling the game our way. Like we lost all my teammates. Parents are pissed on the sidelines. And my mom's like, okay, girl, 
Yeah. Get over yeah. it. Like that, that is the experience that I've had. So like, even, even though like, I know you personally and I know your heart and I know you're acquired, like period, like you said, Giselle's kind of normalized your plight. Like I, in the same way can watch you and just make it as Candace being Candace. But yeah. I know that for me, like if I was in that same role, I couldn't mm-hmm. do that. It doesn't feel yeah. normal to me because my mom was not affectionate. And it's yeah. because it took me watching some kids. Like I used to nanny when I was like 16. Mm-hmm. It's from my church. And I'll never forget their mother said one time to me, like she used to make us hug the kids walking into the house. And mm. I used to like me and the kids, I think the kids felt my energy. So it was never a reciprocated thing. Like we were both just yeah. cool, being like, what up? And so yeah. the mom one day pulled me aside and was like, you are so unaffectionate. And I was so offended because wow. I, I'm affectionate. Like, what are you talking about? Like, cause no one had ever like put really? a name on it, but I didn't, yeah. grow up with I love yous when, when leaving or getting off the phones, I didn't grow up with hugs. I didn't grow up with affirmation. So yeah. when I, when I met people who started to do that, it felt very uncomfortable to me. I found, sure. I had a friend, she was white. And every time she got off the phone with her parents, her grandmother, yep. was, I love yep. you. I mean, and I yep. thought that shit was so weird and until because yeah. I, I remember I was so offended I called my cousin and I was like girl can you believe that she tried to tell me that I am not affectionate she was like you're not <laughs> and I was like I was like shook like every, everything started to yep. me because I was like what are you talking about but my mm-hmm. whole life because affection and love and those things were not implanted in me mm-hmm. when people showed them I felt uncomfortable it would make me cringe genuinely yeah. to tell people I genuinely loved I love you for a very long time like until I was able to get some damn therapy until yep. I was able to pull myself out of my ass and what I've learned yep. being from the deep south a lot of times what's washed in your brain is washed in your brain until yep. Leave. I'm grateful for leaving. But yeah. I really, really thought, I really, really believed that, like, that was weird. And so, yeah. the point about conditioning as being a child and then being available, like, I'm, I'm still not ready to get on the internet and cry. So, mm-hmm. to, to a gentleman's point, Candace, it is very brave in the sense that you're willing to take the brunt of what comes with being so open about your feeling. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 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 No. And I will, Leah, I will say too, you know, I, my mom wasn't the most affectionate either. And I, I mean, my, and my mom is from the deep South. She grew up, you know, with a bunch of brothers and sisters on a farm and, you know, they, they had a, they had a life that wasn't always, you know, roses and they, they had to work and they, they had their own trauma and their their own issues that they had to deal with. Um, As a result, I think, yeah, my mom, she, when I was younger, I do remember her and I, cause it was just the two of us, um, being affectionate. But as I got older, um, yeah. it was, it, it wasn't, it, there wasn't a lot of, I love yous. There wasn't a lot of, um, affection. Because and, I love you was felt. It was not yes, said. Yes. Not said. Yes. Yes. The, and my mom would always say, you know, I, there are clothes on your back. You are fed. You get whatever you want. And even to this day, like when we would argue, and you've seen that on the show, um, she she would say stuff like, I have given you everything. And you, I put you in pageants and dance and you you were spoiled rotten. And I just wanted for anything. Yes. you Yes. You never wanted for anything. And I would say, yeah, yes. And all of that is true. And I acknowledge that. But 
that doesn't replace, you know, feeling like you love me. That doesn't replace um, just general affection. But the point I was trying to make was that in spite of having a mom who was not very emotional, I was still very emotional. And and you see, there's a, there's an episode on the show when we're in, I go to therapy with my mom, and she's belittling me crying, and she's she's always done that. It was never it was always like, oh, why are you crying now? What are you crying about? What is? Oh my god, that's what she does. She just she cries. That's what she does. And it's like, well, damn, can I can I cry I and it not be you know looked at as this thing that I'm doing? Right. And people will even say to me, I was talking to somebody recently, and they were like you can really turn those tears on. And it's like, well, no, I'm not turning them on. Oftentimes when I cry, I've been holding back the tears for 10 minutes. Mm. By the time you see me crying, I've been talking to myself in my head for at least 10 minutes and saying, you can, you don't, you don't cry. You can do this without crying, trying to distract my brain, trying to blink, trying to, you know, move my eyes in a shifty way so that I won't cry. Because I don't always want to emote that way. But that's just how I do it. That's just how I do it. And I, I, I still struggle with it. That's, that's the healthy way of doing it. And you get so much flack. And you're literally here trying to self-talk yourself out of doing the thing that is a natural human response to have. Yeah. Andrew, I have a question about that, though. Like, just to take it a little bit deeper. In, in what ways, because, you know, Candace just talked about how her, you know, her mother would just kind of be like, that's Candace. Do you think that there would be less tears now if it was acknowledged as a child? Mm. No, because, okay, so I think that the challenge as well with emotions is that we have this way of defining them, right? Yeah. Tears mean something's wrong. Yeah. Confrontation means there's an issue. Right. Setting boundaries yes. means it has to be toxic. These yeah. Things, so these natural human responses, setting boundaries is natural. Right. Mm-hmm. Confrontation doesn't have to mean that it's unhealthy or it turns into an argument. Tears doesn't mean that there is this unhealthy thing going on that we should have fixed or addressed. Right. Yeah. And so I think the way we define emotions is kind of off, which is why it's hard for us to sit with them. Mm-hmm. A lot of clients have a hard time sitting with anger. I'll talk about them, talk to them like, well, how was anger expressed in your household? Mm-hmm. Find anger, and for them, anger might have meant that violence was going to happen. It yep. might have meant that I did, someone did something wrong. Me as the child did something wrong. So therefore, it's hard for me to sit with my own emotions. So I think the question is, what did these emotional expressions mean for you growing up? I mean, yeah. just our moments of talking, we're saying, and our black communities, it's like cry it could be something to cry about. That's how yep. we equate tears as adults. Yeah. So it's really looking at, I think, redefining emotional expression which is a really healthy thing to sit with as we grow up. Mm. Redefining emotional expression. That's, that's the word of the day. So then how do we do that? How do you, what's a, what are healthy ways to redefine the way you express emotion, the way that we express emotion, especially as a black community? And I was going to say, and realistically at that, because like, it sounds ideal, right? But I've, what I've learned through therapy is, is like, so we, we go to therapy, right? And this is the, the thing, like, we're trying to destigmatize it. We're telling everybody, go, woo woo, it's great for your emotional, mm-hmm. you know, intelligence. But then the hard part is do, doing the things, right? right. Because doing the work. Conditioned for 
20 odd years or however long until you got into therapy of doing things a certain way. And the hard part comes when you're trying to break those things. So like, what are realistic baby steps in doing that? Because it sounds great to say like, let's just retrain our brain to think emotion differently. But when it still makes me, I feel a way when I hear I love you, that's deep. It's not mm-hmm. a, I'm just going to decide tomorrow I love you is something cool to say. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So how do we do that? Yeah, I think two things. The first thing is remembering that it's a journey, right? I think in life, one of the big things that come up on therapy all the time is like in life, we're taught that the harder we work, the quicker results we're going to get. That is yeah. not the case in therapy, right? Yep. These things don't just happen overnight. We're talking about conditioning and the brain is neuroplasticity. So it can change and mm-hmm. new neural pathways can be formed at any age, at any point in time with consistency and with time. So remembering that we're on a journey is one thing. Along with that, self-acceptance, right? Because mm. it's like, okay, well, I know that I should be okay with tears. I know that I should be okay with anger. But since I'm not there yet, then how am I responding to myself, right? It's yeah. often accompanied by like shame speaking, more frustration with ourselves, kicking ourselves while we're down. So then now we're even like staggering our time on this journey even more because of all the self-judgment. Yeah, right? so pretty much just really, really assessing where you are. I mean, you did a good job today, Leah, just like, this is how I am with I love you and affection. I reality checked with my cousin and people close to me and they all actually validated what the, na- what, um, the mom told me when I was working for her back in the day. So, yeah. okay, well, this is where I'm at. There's a reason for it. And what about this do I want to change and why, right? Yeah. So remembering your why is also very important because if this is just for your own self-expression, great, but also- at this day and age, we're kind of spearheading in our community to make all these changes that are going to affect generations on the line. Yes. So like, if we all have children. They're going to have a different experience with emotions than we had. Yeah. And we're the originators of that at this point in time. So there's a lot mm-hmm. of responsibility that comes with that, but really being patient with yourself and realizing that it is a journey. You are going to fall back into old ways because that's just how conditioning works. So being mm-hmm. okay with that. Mm. I like that. Being okay with that. Yeah. And that I've had to learn that too, is I used to get upset with myself for crying, but I have had to learn that that's just, that's the way that I express emotion and I'm okay with that. And I mean, even, I even still, I still struggle with it because I'm, I'm often thinking about how other people are going to feel, oh my God, Candace is crying. And, and then I feel like I'm taking on their discomfort with yeah. my emotion and having learning and grappling with letting go of that and just being in my emotion because that's how I feel in the moment. And it's not injuring anyone. And, and if it is, perhaps you should talk about that in therapy and that's okay. (laughs) And speaking of, speaking of Leah and I were talking about this before the show. And I think it's really important to, um, to put, to liberate people in, in this way and speaking about going to therapy which is what you should do, but it's a journey. How do you get there? You have to find a therapist, right? So how do you find a therapist? I am a huge proponent of interviewing your therapist. You have to treat the the therapy journey like you're interviewing someone for a job because essentially they you are interviewing them to be able to help you work through your shit. So it's work. Take the time to put in that work and really do the job of interviewing this person 
who you are tasking with helping you walk through your stuff. And so what does interviewing a therapist look like? And, and this is a question for Andromeda, is how, how do you properly interview a therapist and make sure that they are the right fit for you so that you're not wasting time and money with someone who's not the right fit for where you are and what you need? Mm-hmm. It's really a really good question. Well, for starters, one really good resource for finding therapists is Psychology Today. It's this huge database of mm. therapists who are pretty much advertising themselves, advertising their backgrounds, um, what they specialize in, what insurance they take, if they mm. offer, it has all of their basic information. Then you have a way of communicating and contacting that individual. So I would say start a list, like bookmark a few that you find to really connect with what you're about, what you're looking for. But really spending that time with yourself as well is really important. I mm-hmm. always, 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 always do recommend that you work with someone who has a trauma background. Mm. People have experienced a traumatic situation, whether we have PTSD or not. And so uh, most mm-hmm. of our responses, even that we have, are triggered by something else, which essentially is trauma. You yes. Me, like earlier, like, oh, and I hear I love you. I, I kind of like cringe a little bit. Like that's still mm-hmm. a response. doesn't mean that you have PTSD. But it means that there's something that's really uncomfortable that doesn't quite feel safe with that phrase at that point in time in your life back then. So working with someone who has that background is really important. Um, I think also asking your therapist, um, we have to get continuing education credits. Ask them what they get their hours in. They'll be able to tell you, mm-hmm. I've had this many hours in this area, this many mm-hmm. hours in that area. Ask them about their demographics of different clients who they serve. They may be able to connect with you, but you might feel more comforted knowing that they work with other people of color or other genders, or you want to know their background and their history as well. Um, And I would say even for them, like vulnerability, which is so hard, is so important because we all are going to a therapist with reserves. I have a therapist and I'm still, like I've known her for about a year and a half and I'm just like, I don't know. You know what I mean? So, (laughs) but like I tell her that discomfort, I share that with her and we can work through that together. If your therapist can't work through that with you, that might show you that it's not a good fit. So also knowing that that itself is a journey too. So yes. you might have a therapist who you connect with, everything's great, but the more that things kind of happen and open up and you propel forward, there might be things that are unsettling. And if you can't bring that to their attention, then that's a clear sign right there. They may not be able to hold that space for you. And right. also remembering that if a therapist does not work out, it doesn't mean that I'm too much. Or that I'm doing something wrong. It means that I just need the right person for my own needs. So that's really important thing to remember. Um, and even like therapy is so important. But at the same time, you on average see a therapist for one hour. Yeah. A week. And you're right. still left with yourself yep. and your emotions and your thoughts 24-7. So what else do you do with that time? Do we just do therapy then go back to being reckless? Most times. Mm-hmm. But like, mm-hmm. you have to do that. <laughs> yep. So, no. Yeah, there's so many other resources to help us navigate our self-care journeys. There's different apps for mindfulness. One app is the Phoenix Project that I'm working with. And that has an app with tons of different resources for mindfulness work, talking Mm -hmm. with individual psychoeducational groups. It's all free. And you can access this app anywhere around the world 24-7. So it's just making your mental health journey part of your full-time job, even outside of the therapy room. Yeah. And I was going to say that too, because what I found is a lot of my friends, they go to therapy and they might meet with a therapist that they didn't feel right. And then they're they're like almost um, 
I don't know about therapy anymore. The lady I was with, I didn't really like. It wasn't really my cup of tea, not really feeling it. And so, you know, that's the thing, like Candace said, it really is a journey and not everybody you like. Like the first therapist I met, I loved her. I loved Mm -hmm. her. We hit it off and then I had to change my insurance all of a sudden. Now, right now I'm finding like a new one and she don't feel me like, because for me, it was very important for a couple things. I wanted a black woman um, because, you know, I got daddy issues. I don't need a nigga sitting here telling me Mm -hmm. about trying to come for me with my daddy because I might have Mm -hmm. flashbacks with my daddy and you. Didn't want that. (laughs) Um, Also, as well as you said, I wanted someone who was trauma and family-based. I know a lot of my trauma stems from my parentals. And so Mm -hmm. having someone who can talk me through my childhood, I realized that childhood Leah responds to a lot of my issues, not adult Leah who's been through things. So when I started to look for therapists, family therapists and trauma therapists were important for me to do that. And also with my first therapist, I also did want a plus size woman. No, that sounds crazy, but I do feel like her being plus size, she was able to relate to my insecurities or where I stand or how I perceive the world because she sees it from her perspective as well. And so I thought that that was a very, very um, helpful resource to have those things. And I used therapy therapy for black girls. And, Mm -hmm. you know, I used that to just find someone because I knew at, at root and at base, minimally, I wanted a black woman. First and yep. foremost, to speak to my experiences. Yep. So I love that. I love that you, I mean, that speaks to Leah, where you are in your self-actualization, that you are able to like verbalize what you need. And I think, I don't think it's weird at all that you wanted a black plus-sized woman who specializes in trauma and family because that's your journey. That's your walk. Yeah. And and it's it's just like you know, if, if I, I don't know, if I had albinism, mm-hmm. I would want to search for a therapist who maybe looked like me because that is my, that's my, my shell that I walk around the world in. And, you know, I, I would want someone who could understand that journey. And that's, that's really important that number one, that you see that that's what you need. And number two, that there are therapists out there that do mirror you and who you are and what your walk is so that you can really get the most out of the journey. Because if if you're not getting anything out of it, what's the point? You're wasting your time and your coins and and, and you're not healing properly or at all. And this is like a really intimate relationship with your therapist. Oftentimes you're more intimate with them than they are your partner, things that you share. Sometimes it's like yeah. working your way up to share things with your, partner with your partner or your mom or a sibling. So there's a lot of opening up that you do and you have to be comfortable and you have the right, you have the right to feel that comfort, but also to work up to that comfort level. Yes. It takes time. You have the right to that comfort. That is hugely important. Yes. I like, I just, that that's a word. And I was going to ask another question of Dro. So, and this is something that I struggled with. If you get to a point with your therapist where you feel like it's not working, the relationship is not advancing the way that you think it should be, you're not getting what you need from that therapist, how do you communicate that to them or break up with them? What does that look like? Oh, that's good. Yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm a big ghoster, so I had to work through that. <laughs> oh, I do not have ghosters. Oh, <laughs> I have a trauma response. 
<laughs> it sure is. I'm working through it though. Um, I haven't yes. been to all 2021, so it's going well. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god. Um. So yeah, it's it's really. Imp- I think you know, really reflecting and sitting with self. Because in addition to that, Candace, you can also outgrow something. Yeah. And that can also be a thing, right? Like, so I've gone a therapist who, I remember I was picking grad school and mm-hmm. I went to the school counselor on campus in undergrad and my therapist who I was working with went to one of the grad schools I was considering mm-hmm. and like really helped me work. And that was so beneficial, so helpful. Um, then I felt like after that, I had really worked through so many other things that came up about like my yeah. relationship at the time and a couple yeah. of other family stuff. And, yeah. um, but then after a while I felt like we would just be kind of became just really close. It was more of like a friendship friendship mm. relationship. And I was like, okay, well I can appreciate that, but I'm no longer getting what I came to her for. I had to really sit with that in my own solitude and mm. just be real and have that reflection time. So I, I really advise this when you're starting off, have your own personal goals that you might want to work to as your therapist brings more things up that they see our windows to begin to address, write those things down too. That mm. way you can do some reality checking and flipping back to see, okay, like where am I at in this area? Is this still important to me? So that way you can work on accepting where you are yourself because sometimes it's yeah. like, maybe I'm in denial about how far I've come. I don't know how much progress I'm making. I'm afraid to break that relationship because we're so close and intimate. Yes. So like really yeah. looking at your progress is important, but also remembering that your therapist at that point has become that safe person for you mm-hmm. that relationship because it's professional, because it's therapeutic. It also is unconditional. So there's nothing that mm-hmm. you can say essentially that mm-hmm. should change that therapist's perception of you because it still is a professional, professional relationship. relationship. Yeah. Our conversations get, it's mm-hmm. still professional and unlike our personal relationships, right? Mm-hmm. We still remember that. Because sometimes mm. we get so close and share so much that we might forget that sometimes. So yep. the therapist is trained and ready to let you go. Ooh. Yes. Like we understand that this is a journey. A good therapist will want you to grow, will want you to progress. Yeah. If the is telling you otherwise, not every therapist is perfect. That might be a red flag to sit with too. Because, yep. you know, a therapist should essentially be kind of like edging you on out of that right. nest out of your comfort zone to begin to experience more growth in life. So I think it's really important to look at your therapist's response as well. And sometimes that alone will show you mm. where this person should stand in your ongoing treatment and healing or recovery. Mm. Well, That's very good. I like that. Yeah. And I'm not going to lie, honey. I love to go kiki with my therapist because really, it, and this is, you know, I'm, I'm nobody's trained therapist, but as a therapist, um, advocate i will say that honey i be in there gagging with my therapist like all the bad shit that you really shouldn't say out loud i say out loud because (laughs) the only place like i'm like hey this is really selfish of me to say but fuck her whole family and honestly that's how i feel about it i mean like that's what therapy does for me because I'm honest. Like you can't say everything you want to say all the time to everybody. But when my yep. therapist, I feel like if there's anywhere to sound like a horrible human being and then fix it, that's yep. the place to do. I love that. I love that yep. so much. Yes. Yep. I'm gagging that's, with my therapist. Shit. That's the way it should be. I called my client, I think on Friday, I was like, oh shit, you're a motherfucking beast. I was like, you said that? I was like, that's our relationship. Yes, I did say that. <laughs> yes. I love it. 
Um, that's, that's, yes. Like I think things are changing. I think that people are becoming yes. more personable. That's the other thing. I think that it's kind of daunting to even want to sit with wanting to see a therapist because of how we're portrayed in the media. Like mm-hmm. I was running the mission I see, so I was like, oh, I'll be able to put a face to therapist. People will be less afraid to go talk to someone because, yeah. oh, she does this. Okay. Regular person. Right. We are regular yep. people. We all have other things in our lives, other careers mm-hmm. for that mm-hmm. matter. So mm-hmm. there's so mm-hmm. many layers. That's just one part of us that we're sharing. And I think that, you know, the media, there's still this very old Freudian way that therapists are portrayed yes. and have been. But now the girl down the street looking cute. Is your therapist mm-hmm. or the hot man at Starbucks who works mm-hmm. different kind of topic? But that's your therapy. So you never know. You never know. Yeah. Regular, yeah. People, regular people. Regular people are therapists, and regular people go to therapy. That's mm-hmm. important too. And I think I think that that's a good place to to put a, a pin in it, and thank our my friend and our guest Andromeda Peters. Andromeda, tell everyone where they can find you, how they can learn more about the Phoenix Project. Yes. Um, you can follow me on Instagram at Andromeda Peters, and the link to the app is in my bio. Download it. It's a free app, the Phoenix Project, free mental health resources, classes, psychoeducational groups, tips, mindfulness journeys at your fingertips, no matter where you are in the world, 24-7. I would love to see all of you there. Yes. Well, thank you for coming to So That's What We're Doing because what we are doing all 2021 is getting our mental health in check. So thank you for coming through. Yes. Yes. Well, make sure you like, subscribe, comment, and watch our YouTube because this episode is going to be on YouTube too. If you want to see the girls get a key key in. Get into my rap, honey. Yes. I put this rap on just for y'all. So, so please enjoy it on the YouTube. Mm-hmm. And make sure you, of course, subscribe, download, like, and leave a review, and let us know what you want to hear because yeah. um, that's that's what we're doing, and we're we're trying to make sure you do it with us right here. So, uh, see you next time.